Hello, well-being friends. Welcome to the Path to Well-Being in Law podcast, an initiative of the Institute for Well-Being in Law. I'm your co-host, Chris Newbold, Executive Vice President of Alps Malpractice Insurance. And you know, as most of you know, this is the place that we are welcoming advocates and activists in the well-being space, all intent uh, on building and nurturing a national network of folks intent on creating a culture shift within the profession. Uh, very exciting that we are uh, about to uh, wrap up our uh, third installment of a kind of a mini series on the interconnectedness of diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, and and well-being. Um, and I'm always thrilled to introduce my co-host, Bree. Bree, how's it going? It's going great, Chris. So glad to be here with you as all always. And I'm going to go ahead and, and start off with our introduction of our guest today. Um, so Manar Morales is a national expert on women's leadership, diversity, and workplace flexibility. She serves as president and CEO of the Diversity and Flexibility Alliance. She's a frequent speaker on workplace topics such as flexibility, diversity, inclusion, women's leadership, and individual strategies for success. Prior to founding this alliance, she served as the ED for the Project for Attorney Retention, and in that position, she led all of their initiatives, programs, and operations. And we certainly know that attorney retention is a huge issue right now. She played an integral role in forming the Diversity and Flexibility Connection, a series of discussions between prominent general counsel and law firm chairs leading to best practices for the retention of diverse attorneys, including those working on flex schedules. She began her career as an employment litigator, representing clients in all aspects of labor relations and employment law, and has experienced litigation experience in federal courts and agencies, as well as in arbitration. She's also served as an adjunct faculty member of Georgetown University, has taught classes in labor and employment law and entrepreneurship. So Minar, welcome today. We're so glad to have you with us. Thank you, Bree. Thank you, Chris. I'm excited to be in conversation with both of you today. Absolutely. And so, Manar, I'm going to start you off with a question that we ask just everybody, just about everybody that comes on our podcast. Um, and if you could talk about what are some of the experiences in your life that are drivers behind your very evident passion for work in this space and the work and looking at the diversity, flexibility, and its intersection with well-being. Yeah. So, you know, I would say that my my work with flexibility really came out both of a personal, a very personal story with it, uh, as well as then a professional passion for it. So I started uh, when I was an employment litigator 21 years ago, almost 21 years ago that I had my first son and started to think about wanting to go on a reduced hour schedule at that time, which wasn't really prevalent at the time. And the experience that I had where uh, it wasn't really thought that I could continue to be a litigator and continue to go reduced hours. And so it really came out of this experience of having to create my own path where I could continue to do what I was passionate about, which was at the time was litigation and continue to do what I wanted to do in my personal life. And so over time, I developed that career for myself and that path for myself where I could do things like I could teach and I could, um, I found a firm where I could continue to litigate 
and also be reduced hours. And what happened over time was that women then would come up to me and say, well, if I could have done it the way that you did it, I wouldn't have left. And it really began me down this path of why can't we create an environment where more people could do that? And I really felt like for me, it was out of necessity to pull together what I wanted and what I viewed and what I called a 360 life for myself. Mm. And then starting down that path of, well, why can't we create organizations where more people have those opportunities? Absolutely. I'm, I'm guessing you're professionally satisfied at this point. <laughs> yeah. Two more children later. I now have three boys. So <laughs> three boys and a husband and a maybe four boys then but um yeah so I think that really right now it is I've hit my sweet spot of what I really do enjoy doing that's wonderful well hey Menard tell us a a bit about the diversity and flexibility uh, alliance how how did it get started and you know what as you conceive the concept what were you hoping to change in the legal profession so it started, I started, I founded it in 2012. So we're, we're, we're at our 10 year anniversary mm. this year, which is exciting. Um, and really it was about, you know, I think I, it was about bringing together. So for us, our sort of three pillars of the Alliance are community collaboration and content. And it really, it was bringing together a community of organizations that were really committed to wanting to have the conversations around diversity and flexibility and create real change, and each one at its own pace. So what's exciting for us, I think, in in working with organizations, we certainly have some of our, our members who are the innovators and say, you know, come to us and tell us what nobody else is doing and we wanna do that, right? And so it's an exciting opportunity for us that we are thinking about what would we like to see happen in the legal profession in the corporate world? We're not just limited to legal, but that's a majority of our members. What do we want to see happening and how can we help create that change and really partner with our, our members to say, look, I want to make sure you're having the right conversation because I think so much of this gets derailed by not having the right conversation within your organizations And so a lot of the work that we're doing is let's make sure everybody's having the right conversation. And we have a set of best practices. We have a set of things that we believe should be happening. And for some of those best practices, it's what nobody is doing. And some are really things that are, we're looking at the trends. So sometimes it's exciting for us because we can be creating trends and we're also monitoring the trends and looking at what's happening um, and being able to share that with our community. So like I said, I think you know some of our members are the ones who are innovators and I can really see the change happening and we can introduce something and they're willing to run with it. And then what often happens in the legal profession is we have some members who are what we would call those proven results where they're going to look to what you know, look to their left, look to their right and say, come to me when we, when you have a trend here, and then we're going to do that. And then there are others who are, who, you know, really just want to be on the forefront of knowing what's happening and their culture will catch up over time. So I think um, for us to be able to see those changes and to be at the heart of those conversations, at the center of those conversations and organizations has been really um, something very exciting for us. And I got to think for a variety of reasons that, that, business has been pretty good of late. Yeah. So it was interesting. I think right before the pandemic, um, I was giving a presentation to a managing partner roundtable where I had about two hours and it was probably about maybe 10 days before everything happened, um, where everything really did shut down and everybody went um, virtual. 
And I spent most of my time in those two hours really building the business case for flexibility. And then the pandemic happened and suddenly all of our conversations were around, well, okay, well, how do we make this happen? I don't, we don't need to talk about the why right now because we just really need to know <laughs> how do we make this happen? How do we actually work in ways that, you know, nobody ever imagined, right? I couldn't, would not have imagined that all of a sudden everybody is going to be dealing with a hundred percent virtual organizations, right? And so we very early on with our membership base put on presentations. How do you lead in a virtual environment? How do you succeed in a virtual environment? What should organizations be doing right now? Um, and really help to rally all our members and, and talk to them about, here are the strategies. Here's what you should do. Here, here's the amazing to talk about being having the right message at the right time and just being there on the spot I mean that's amazing timing Menard and congratulations for that that's you know yeah. and we've definitely seen that with the institute we you know the all the the trauma and tragedy with the, the pandemic and the highlight around well-being and it's just made it for us um so much of an easier conversation to have yeah, and I think with our members that were already doing some of right, the, the members that are already really invested in flexibility and understood it and, you know, telecommuting policy certainly existed long before the pandemic, they were better situated, they were better situated to be able to hand it, handle it, but certainly nobody uh, considered or thought that flexibility would be part of their business continuity plans, right, <laughs> it was never something considered as part of that um, right. conversation, so. So the, the, I know that the just reading the studies across the board, we're really starting to see the, how the effects of the pandemic and the isolation and just how long it has gone on has rained down so much harder on people of color and especially women of color. Could you, based on the research and your observations, could you talk a little bit about why that is? Yeah, I mean, I think that the um, all of the experiences and all of the things that people have had to bear and thinking about the impact on women and women of color and what the role that they play in, in family situations and the burdens that they carry um, as being either the primary or the sole caregiver at, um, in families showed how much when all of the social systems collapsed too, right? It's not just that we all went home. I mean, I, I, I keep talking about the fact that we have to remember that we are we were in a pandemic. This wasn't just about a grand experiment with work from home. This was about the fact that we were in a pandemic and people had a lot of things going on. And so if you look at who was impacted the most and where the research shows what the burdens that people were carrying and all of what's been impacted by the great resignation and who was leaving. I think the interesting thing is to look at what the percentage is when we look at flexibility moving forward, that you look at people of color wanting to continue flexible work arrangements at higher percentages than white people, that also um, women at higher percentages than men. And I think that it was this, I, I think that during the pandemic, what we saw was people of color and the data will, bears out too, to look at who experienced a greater sense of belonging, that that actually increased for people of color really? uh, during the pandemic, because for the first time they got to be experiencing working in, in, a, in a situation where they felt greater sense of psychological safety, 
They didn't have to code oh. switch as much. They didn't have to deal with micro inequities as much if they were working from home during right. this time, right? They got a break from that. Wow. Um, constant pressure of it when you're in an office environment, right? So not to say that that doesn't happen on Zoom calls. It absolutely does. But the I can then be in at home for a period of time while I'm working and get a break from that. So it's an important thing to look at that intersection between diversity, equity, and inclusion and look at our path forward. We've always said it has a huge link um, with diversity, but I think what the pandemic did was reinforce what that link is. Hmm. That's interesting because that, that's, as you think about it, it makes logical sense, but I'm not sure that, you know, a lot of us have kind of thought about that perspective and that ability to kind of be, you know, kind of reset and, and that that's, that's, that's really interesting. Um, Menor, how would, how would you, you know, how, how are you advising legal employers um, as you kind of think about the stress effects of the, of the pandemic? And I mean, I, I know that what I, what I really enjoy about your work is your, your, your ambition to create inclusive cultures. And so I'm, I'm curious on, you know, how you're advising legal employers and what type of uh, support the Alliance is providing to be able to effectuate that, that vision. Yeah, so I think in terms of the, the support that we're providing is a lot of it is around conversation. So we were very much um, intentional when we built, when I built the Alliance around, I, I want this to be about partnering and collaborating. So when I talk about the sort of three C's of the Alliance being community, which was important for us to bring organizations together to have those conversations and the content piece of it, which is the research that we're able to provide and the best practices. The third C is that collaboration is that I really wanted us to have this organization where we partnered intentionally with every firm. We are social mission. So our interest is to make sure that we are helping elevate and take organizations to the next level. Um, so going in and part of the way that we do that is looking at things like policy reviews and having um, advisory hours and things like that, that we're looking at really what are you doing and are you having the right conversation? Can we frame this in such a way that executive committees see the path forward as something that is a win for the organization if we take something as flexibility is a really is a business imperative for the organization right, to be doing that helps advance and push forward engagement. It helps drive inclusion. It helps drive um, purpose within an organization. It helps drive productivity. It helps drive all of the things that one looks at for the health of the organization so that you're creating a culture where people want to not only um, be excited to be a part of and want to stay, but they feel that they are fully engaged in that culture where everybody feels like they can be valued. Um, and so a lot of the work that we do is, is centered around flexibility and, it's in, and, and then it's tied to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and we do that through frameworks. We do that really through building what we think is a good process for organizations to walk through, uh, to be able to create that flexible work environment. Manar, I just heard you talk about in the, that answer about policies for legal employers. And obviously that's gonna differ based on what they do and number of offices, et cetera, et cetera. But could you give people some examples of some basic 
uh, principles or things that you would suggest to be contained in a policy? If they're looking at how do we, okay, we wanna improve our flexibility experience for our staff and our people here. How can, some concrete uh, yeah. items around how to do that. Yeah, so it's so interesting because we mentioned policies and so much of the conversation in, in hybrid and the future of work does center around policies. And I will say that um, our advice is let's start policies isn't where we want to start the conversation, really. It's mm -hmm. about how do we think first about establishing that compelling purpose for what we want it to accomplish, right? So um, really thinking about what does the future of work look like for us as an organization? Why does it matter for us? What opportunities does it provide for us? Mm -hmm. And then start to create that shared vision of Okay, regardless, you know, one of the exercises I walk executive committees through or an organization that's trying to decide for themselves where they should go is to say, regardless of how the future of work changes for us as an organization, what needs to stay the same? What do we need to hold on to? What do we need to make sure that we bring into the future? What do we want our people to be saying about us? What do we want our um, clients to be saying about us? What do we want the market to be saying about us? Because if you walk people through that exercise, it helps them start to really shape the, the sort of be really macro clear on what they're mm -hmm. hoping to accomplish. And then we can be micro, right? You know, say macro clear, micro easy. Then we can talk about a policy. But I think, and, and how do we design that initiative? And then, um, so we have this five R framework that I'm walking you through right now that recalibrate mm -hmm. pieces that designing the initiative, the recommit pieces, how do we integrate flexibility into the culture? So let's, I think the biggest mistake that we're seeing is organizations who are creating policies that and creating hybrid, if you will, right now, um, and they are dropping it into a co-location model and hoping it's going to work. And I keep saying it's not going to work, and it's not going to work not because of a failure of flexibility. It's going to be a, it's not going to work for you because of a failure of execution, um, and that there are really key strategies for how do you integrate flexibility into the culture, and then finally, how do you reinforce it? How do you measure the impact of if we started with the reflect on what your compelling purpose is, we're gonna end with reinforce and it's gonna be an iterative process that loops back to that compelling purpose. Are we meeting the purpose that we set? Are we looking at this as a talent recruitment retention? Right? That was our reasoning for doing this. Are we hitting the mark on that? And then oftentimes in that measuring, you can start to see where this is an organization that really just offered false flexibility, which is not what mm. people are looking for today. <laughs> Interesting uh, word there, the false yeah. flexibility. Yeah. And that's the biggest danger, I think. There's because law firms all know that, that they have to do something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what our interest is, is getting you to stand behind what you're saying you're going to do. So mm -hmm. I'm not interested in working with a firm to say, just tell us what our policy should look like without having done all of the groundwork and the integration part and the building of it to say that this is so much more than a policy change, right? That what the future of work uh, calls for is a culture change and hybrid is a culture and systems change. It is not a policy change. Mm. And so really getting people to understand what that means and what that requires and all of the behavioral changes that that's gonna require um, is important, but well worth it. Yeah, I love that. And, and that sort of paradigm for analysis that you lead the firms through, that's just wonderful. Um, and yeah, it makes, seems like it would make all the difference in the world. It's not 
about policies, just about that. That's sort of the end game here. Yeah. What do you do to get to that decision? So, you know, Manar, when we um, had our pre-call a week or two ago, we started talking about and didn't have opportunity to really finish this idea around return on experience. Yeah. Return on experience and how that's a new paradigm around work today. Could you talk a little bit about return on experience? Yeah, so return on experience is a term that we came up for, that we kept telling our members, look, you have to, what people are looking for is an ROE, that return on experience. Uh, and so, and we're seeing that today, which is, I've always said, policies don't bring your people back, experiences will. And we're seeing that with a lot of, um, whether it's in the news, when you're looking at some of these stories of companies that have demanded people back yet still don't see them coming back, um, or even with it, law firms, you know, looking at their numbers and saying, you know, we don't have the percentages coming back that we expected to have. And that's really because the emphasis does have to be on experiences that, that what people are looking for is if you're telling me to come back into the office, that that is going to be a different experience than what I can just do at home, right? That, and I, I think that ROE is a two-way street, right? So when we're talking to our um, members about it from an organizational standpoint, you should be thinking about what is your ROE? What are you asking your people to do when they come back into the office? Because if we just talk about FaceTime, then we've all had that experience where we know people who have come into the office, they shut the door, they do their work, but they're not mentoring, they're not meeting people, they're not collaborating, they're doing what I call telecommuting from the office. And that's not the experience that you want your people to do. So I feel like when firms are just talking about, oh, we just need people back in the office, I'm like, to do what? Like, stop, we don't need to be talking about, do we need people back into the office? We should be talking about what are the behaviors that you're driving for, which is we wanna see connection, we wanna see collaboration, right? We wanna see all of those things but that doesn't all only happen in the office. And so a lot of the things that we've been talking about is around the fear, you know, or built around the fears of what people think they're going to lose out on in this new environment. Most firms or leaders will tell me I'm fearful of losing what we call the five C's, loss of connection, loss of culture, loss of collaboration, loss of control, uh, loss of contribution. And so you say the problem is you can't, you're right, you have to be intentional about designing a hybrid world that will continue to enhance all of those things. But if you only talk about connection in terms of the office, then you're missing out on a huge opportunity. Because what we have to say is, yes, we build connection and there's value to it in person, but yes, we also build connection online. And so we need to be intentional about the behaviors to not just say, people build connection in the office. And when you're working from home, you're siloed and separate. It's how do we build connection 100% of the time? And that's gonna look different in each of those environments. So we need to shift our behavior accordingly. All right, I think that's a good, a good place to quick take a break. And, uh, and, and, and I'm excited after the break to really kind of get into, uh, Manar, your, your thought leadership in the area of the future of work, right? Because I, I you know, I, I got to imagine that when you were consulting pre-pandemic and then, you know, urging flexibility and then wham, you know, we, we, we all got that and, and, and got a feel for that, what feel for how that was, that that 
it's, it's been a game changer, right? And to yeah. kind of talk about where that's going to go from here. So let's take a quick break and we'll come right back. Meet Vera, your firm's virtual ethics risk assessment guide. Developed by Alps, Vera's purpose is to help you uncover risk management blind spots from client intake to calendaring to cybersecurity and more. I require only your honest input to my short series of questions. I will offer you a summary of recommendations to provide course corrections if needed and to keep your firm on the right path. Generous and discreet, Vera is a free and anonymous risk management guide from Alps to help firms like yours be their best. Visit Vera at alpsinsurance.com forward slash Vera. Welcome back. We are here with Manar Morales, the president and CEO of the Diversity and Flexibility Alliance, and a really uh, interesting discussion about the creation of inclusive cultures, flexibility. Um, Manar, I'm, I'm really, you know, curious as you know, we all work in our own work environments and, and just kind of where you're seeing the future of work. Um, some real interesting dynamics in play for our profession right now. And just curious about your sense of both trends, uh, obstacles, and the role that flexibility is going to play as we, as we look ahead. Yeah. So um, in terms of where the future is headed, I do believe that the future is hybrid. Um, I, I'm asked all the time by leaders, are we just going to go back? That's the number one question I'm asked by leaders. And I always say that I'm asked by those leaders with different motivations behind that question, right? For some, they do actually want to get back into the office um, and have everybody get back and think if we just tell everybody, they will uh, they'll follow. And then others who, you know, are saying, well, I kind of, we've been really productive. We've seen impacts on our productivity in positive ways and can't, you know, maybe we don't ever want to go back into the office. And then others who are buying into that hybrid and there are variations of both that might. So the answer to that question, I always say, you know, look, I think that the way that 9-11 forever changed how we travel, that COVID will forever change how we work. And really thinking about that there is, in all of the years I've been studying flexibility, we've never gone backwards. We've always, mm. so it's always been a question of not if you're going to do this. It's always been a question of when you're going to do this. Uh, and we've really looked at the trends since, you know, been looking at flexibility since 2006. And I can see, and even if I look at it in terms of leave practices too, since 2006, it, we've not gone backwards in that, in that. So I really do think that the future of work is hybrid for legal. I don't think that the 100% virtual is where the legal profession is at at the moment. Um, it really will be, how do we make some version of hybrid work? But there's a lot of work to be done to make that happen. And um, it's gonna take time. And the organizations that I think are getting this right are the ones who are spending a lot of time figuring out how to and having and, and we're working with them on how to integrate it into the culture. Yeah. You know, you've talked you talked about rules of engagement and how do we really show up, you know, within the hybrid workspace. Can you talk about that a little bit? What how would that shift or change? How would that look different? So I think that that is something that if we think about what what it took to just survive during the pandemic is very different from what it's gonna to take to thrive in a post-pandemic world. Mm. And so there have been a lot of things that during that time, for example, on how do we show up to an online meeting? And 
you know, during the pandemic and we are, and I want to recognize and uh, that we are still in a pandemic. And so we're not out of it yet. And so organizations still, as they're kind of continuing to the next level of these conversations, I always remind them we are still in a pandemic and we still have to be, have empathy towards the fact that a lot of people are, um, in a different set of situations. And so we have to be, uh, think about that when we, whenever we're making new rules of engagement up. But one of the things is during the pandemic, we got so used to sort of cameras on, cameras off your choice, which was right to do during the pandemic. Uh, we got used to showing up to online meetings, being very distracted that we got showed up with our emails up. We were doing multiple things. We were, you know, engaging in maybe chatting. There were, there were all things that were happening and we weren't fully present in terms of the meeting. Uh, and we got used to sort of this multitasking that was happening and I'm guilty of it too, right? And especially then if your camera's off, then you're definitely, there's a lot of things that might be going on that you are, you know, doing other work in the background intending to listen and maybe not be fully engaged in the conversations that are happening. And I think in a post-pandemic world, and I think I know those rules of engagement have to change that if we want to create connection and high levels of collaboration and say that online is a vehicle to do that, then the way that people show up to meetings has to change. It means that when we're in an online meeting, we're fully present. Right? We're recreating what it looks like to be in the room together. We are cameras on, we're seeing each other. Uh, again, barring the fact that people are still, you know, dealing with some things in the pandemic and obviously having empathy towards that, but generally saying, look, you know, we want to be engaged. We want to be fully present. We want to pretend as if you're sitting in front of me. Now, part what goes along with that is we also have to reclaim how often we're meeting. So yes, we want to be fully engaged and fully present during meetings. And if it's in an online meeting, we want to make sure that that's happening. But I also think, you know, we have to reclaim how much we're meeting because during the pandemic, everything became a meeting, right? And everything became a video meeting and that's exhausting. And so going back to thinking about, hey, what's appropriate for us to meet on? What's appropriate for it to be a phone call and what's appropriate for it to be an asynchronous form of communication? You know, whenever I'm presenting to audiences, I always say, raise your hand if you've ever sat through a meeting and you thought this could have been an email. Right. And of course, everybody's hand goes up. We've all had experienced that. And so I think if we want those rules of engagement to change, then we also have to honor the fact that not everybody, not everything has to be a meeting. Yeah. Can you give us some examples without naming names of legal employers who are getting it right right now? What are some programming programs that you're seeing um, around work flexibility and things that promote well-being? So I think the ones that are getting it right are doing a few things. One, they are having in-depth conversations around why this matters to their firm. They're creating the shared vision. They're really building out that business case. Uh, and then they are, whatever their policy is, they are then spending time on actually integrating the policy and flexibility into the culture. So they are not looking at this as a policy change. They are looking at it as a culture change. And they're really being intentional about giving their people the practices in order to succeed in that. So when we talk about you have to integrate flexibility into the culture of your firm or your organization, it's about you have to align five things, the five Ps. 
The first one is you have to align your purpose, right? We started with purpose first whenever we have these conversations. So you need to bring that in, make sure everybody in the firm is aware of what the purpose is. And then you have to align it with a set of principles. And those principles are really the mindset shifts that need to happen in order for flexibility to succeed. So some things of the mindset shift, some of those principles that I talk about are flexibility is not a trade-off for performance, right? If we see people who are not performing well, um, they're not available, their work product has gone down, right? they're, um, res they're not responsive. All of those things are performance issues. Those are not flexibility issues. So we need mm -hmm. to really be clear about what flexibility is and what it isn't, right? right. FaceTime's not an indicator of commitment. It, that people really want the autonomy to decide where they work within guardrails, right? And those guardrails are the policies of the firm. Um, but that not one size fits all and that work is not a place and culture is not dependent on upon location. Lots of things that there are sort of key principles and, and the firms doing this well, spend the time to educate their people on what those principles are. Um, and then you have to align with your policies, right? Whatever that policy looks like. And we have lots of recommendations around some of those things to be thinking about. And then what are the practices? So those are the tangible things that if we think about what are we most afraid of, we're afraid of losing connection. We're afraid of losing out on collaboration, communication, um, the ability for people to contribute then we, we always say there are best practices to make that work. And so we spend a lot of time with members doing trainings and conversations and experiences with their people to really hone what those best practices are. And then finally align your people, right? Make sure that your people are aware of how do I thrive in this environment? How do I lead in this environment? Because it is different. And we need to make sure that we are telling our people that. Um, and so really spending all of that time on, on all of the work that it takes, right? I think a lot, we spend so much time on what the policy is. And I say, that's actually not the most important piece. Policy is important and we can get there, but your most important piece is taking that policy and making sure you're actually integrating it into the culture and you're teeing your people up for success on this. So I think those Firms that are getting this right are the ones that are investing all of their time to do that and their resources and resources behind all of the implications of these policies as well, not just sort of the, the paper change that's going to have to happen. Make it seem so, so, so simple and straightforward and comprehensible in the way that you've, you've characterized <laughs> that. I, I, I'm being honest in that, yeah. you know, again, I, I feel like there's, I feel like there's a push pull right between employers and employees that again, is the way that you articulated it, which is if we can move ourselves toward a collective shared vision based upon a set of core P's, right? In this case, purpose, principles, policies, practices, and people that there's, there's a, there's a pathway that, that, that engages the workforce in positive ways, enhances productivity, and ultimately builds the culture that you aspire to build. Yeah, that benefits both you and your people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He comes with win-win. <laughs> that, is, that is our role to play, is to make <laughs> sure that it looks, that this is something that does benefit both you as well as your people um, within your organization. Because again, I, I feel like there's a sense that there's just so many trade-offs, right? That 
if, if, if you have flexibility, you don't have culture. And, and again, I, I think what, what you're saying is, no, 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 let's hit the pause button here. There, there is definitive ways to be able to, uh, to kind of meet in both ends of the spectrum in a way that actually launches us. You know, one plus one can actually equal three in this case. Yeah. So, I mean, you, that culture piece is so important. People, you know, talk about culture all of the time. And I think it's so interesting because I think sometimes it gets thrown around without being defined. So oftentimes when somebody says, well, we're afraid we're going to lose our culture. I'm like, okay, well, tell me what, how do you define your culture? And I don't always get a good answer to that, right? That people right. Are like, well, we're afraid it's going to, we're going to lose our culture. Okay. But tell me what your culture is. Tell me how you define that. Let's, let's be clear first on what that is. And then I say, you know, culture is about a set of values that you hold as an organization. It's about a set of behaviors that people exhibit within your uh, organization. It's the relationships that you have in your organization. So culture is really can be enhanced and culture should be present, not because of your four, your four walls don't create culture. It's the, the values, the behaviors, the relationships, how people interact with each other that creates your culture. So flexibility should really be enhancing it. And that should be present in all of your, in whatever mode you're in. If you're online, there should be, that should be really, culture should be uh, present there. Those things should be present there. Your four walls might enhance it, but it certainly doesn't just drive it. It's the behaviors of your people that are driving that. So that is something that's really important. And then the hybrid, you know, you bring up Chris, that idea of like, are we, are we missing out on something? And I say, our, our hybrid equation, the definition of hybrid that the Alliance has for our members is, I want you to be thinking about the best of who you were in person. We think about how do we leverage the power of hybrid? It's taking the best of who you were in person. What, what about being in person was really, really good and what you enjoyed and what, you know, where all of culture perhaps was enhanced. And then think about the best of who you've been online because the, the past two years, there were things that were exposed that you would have never realized was a crack in the system or something that was you know, wrong in your systems that because we were forced to operate in this way, we, we were forced to change in ways that we never were before. And so we've really discovered some value, some things that were really working really well or things that actually got enhanced online when we worked together online. So if we take the best of who we were in person and we add that to the best of who we've been online, that will equal the best of who you'll be in hybrid. But we have to be intentional about thinking about it that way and look at, hey, in terms of connection, what was really good about when we connected in person? Let's bring that into the hybrid world. Let's think about connection and where perhaps more people felt a greater sense of belonging. More people felt like they could be connected and participated. More people interacted in firms than before because of Zoom. And in some ways, Zoom became the great equalizer and enhanced some opportunities for connection. Let's bring that in too, because that's what the advantage of hybrid is. We're going to be able to do the best of both of those. So I think it, it, for us, it's a lot of reframing around how people are thinking about this new environment in order to really create a more successful environment. Mm. So let's, you know, you're, you're, you're the, the Alliance, you, I think you mentioned it earlier in the podcast, which is you monitor uh, trends. In some respects, you create trends. So let's look out onto the horizon, right? If we're, if we're looking forward a, a, a decade, so you're celebrating your 20th anniversary there at the Alliance. And if we're doing a good job about changing attitudes and intentionality and hearts and minds, how, how, how do you visualize the legal profession being different 
or or frankly better yeah i mean i think that if we're not if we're no longer having conversations on why this matters but really having conversations around seeing that we've created this sort of best of everything that really does benefit everybody that becomes a really holistic approach uh, of looking at work that I hope that from 20 years from now, I'm still not talking about the business case about this, but we really are seeing organizations that are thriving with people at their center, right? With that understanding that need to be people first. I think one of the things that we saw from the pandemic is we had to lead with empathy in ways that we were not used to. Right. And that that we we could no longer see that people didn't have a life and that right. people really did. Right. The personal became the professional. The professional became the personal. And I hope that we create this environment and certainly 10 years from now, right, that we are continuing to see people at the center of our firms rather than anything else at the center of our firms. I know. I just think about all the, the images of people's kids heads popping into screens and dogs and everything. And it is. It's, it makes us much more human in this experience. Menar, this has been just incredible. And I feel so lucky to have such an amazing thought leader in this space share with us today. And I know that our listeners are going to be interested in learning more. Could you share your, your um, web address so people can reach out to you and find more? Sure, you can reach out to us at www.dfalliance.com and happy for people to email me at menar at dfalliance.com and always happy to hear from people. Well, Menar, again, thank you so much for joining the podcast and and uh, and the work that you do, right? Because again, I, there are conventional wisdom and then there's 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 evolution and and uh, and and progress in thinking and and you're you're right in the middle of challenging historical norms yet opening up more opportunities and we know that uh this 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 move toward flexibility you know Brian, Brie, you and i know uh, more than anyone just just how integral this is to kind of the wellness and and the element of you know providing people the the platform to one live their best life in a way that's healthy and, and you know I, I think everyone agrees that you know 90 minutes of commuting time while it can be therapeutic in some ways is, is not always kind of where you're looking uh to, to be on on your own individual wellness journey which obviously adds to professional satisfaction uh engagement and and and, and some of the things that we're seeing that gives us cause for concern about where the profession's at so again menar thank you for joining the podcast and we'll be back uh in just a a, a couple of weeks as we continue our uh, journey around the country, just talking to awesome people doing great work in the well-being space. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Bree.